I know you all are grateful as I am for the gift of our dramatic readers today who have helped us to hear a lot of words but to hear each one with the poignancy and the relevancy and the meaning that it has for us in this moment. Uh, this has been a good morning of worship already. Uh, if you'll bow with me, please. Living water, flow among us and bring us to life. Pour your word into our hearts until our compassion grows to embrace our deepest conflicts and hardships. Amen. I have good news for you this morning. There will be water enough. There will be water enough. I don't know what it is God's calling you to accomplish in your journey through life, and I don't know exactly what route you will take as you make your way back to the Creator. I don't know that. I do know that the journey and the calling are uniquely yours, and I'm hoping you'll tell me about it because I am enriched when I hear how God is using each of you to repair and rebuild, revivify, rejuvenate God's beloved world. I'm just here this morning to tell you there will be water enough and food too. Our worship theme for this Lenten season, Tikkun Olam, the healing of the world, is a beautiful concept and just churchy enough to make it appropriate for us to take as a frame for our praise of God during this time of self-assessment and self-reflection. But it would help if the world was really the size of this world over here that we have recreated, wouldn't it? Wouldn't it be easier if healing the world was as simple as the beautiful liturgical moment that we will share in a few minutes where someone will come and weave yet another piece of beauty into this sphere. What we know, though, about our own reality is that in the real world, that simple motion of weaving, that liturgical motion, represents not a moment, but hours and hours and weeks and weeks and years and years of effort on our part and on God's to heal the world that God loves so very much. Healing the whole creation seems like it will take a long time and the path toward healing seems long. I have good news. There will be water and food and love enough along the way. Since I arrived in Houston late in December, I've been visiting each week with as many of you as can manage to make the appointment with me uh, to just talk with you. You know that I've taken it as a goal in 2011 to visit, if just for a few minutes, with as many of the members of this church as possible. I hope each of you will have talked with me for a few minutes about your church and about your life at home for a little while uh, so that I can be a better minister with you in this place. 
Uh, it's a big challenge. And if you have not heard from me yet, please do not despair. The email is on the way. I'm working through the list, the membership list. Every third, I mean every tenth name, I'm uh, sending an email with an invitation. And if you haven't received yours yet, it's coming. So please don't despair. I'm eager to talk with you. My visits with you thus far have been remarkable. I've been moved by all the ways that you are working to repair and revitalize and to heal the world around you. Some of you are raising children that are the bright futures of us all. It is a delight to meet Justin just this morning, our, I think our newest baby. Many of you teach and mentor other people's children. Many of you literally do the work of healing other people's bodies or support people who do that work. There are lots of folks in this congregation who work to find the energy resources the rest of us need in order to do our work and to live our lives. And I've heard from many of you that you're working diligently to try to find ways to make money for your companies while making the world a safer place, finding cleaner sources of energy and cleaner ways of delivering the energy that we have to us. We need it so badly. A bunch of you have taken seriously the call of God to make world, the world safer and saner through volunteering in this church. It is you who are teaching our children and young people who are teaching the connections classes or facilitating those, who are leading spiritual development programs, who are providing pastoral care to us when we're sick. It's you who pray at this wall and at home for each of us. You've taken on roles for healing the world. And there are a great many of you who have joined yourselves to justice causes that are working to end racism, sexism, xenophobia, ableism, and homophobia. And you're finding your place of volunteering here in this congregation. Now, if I have left anybody out, if, if what I have said doesn't apply to you, I think I know that what you do for us. The rest of you work very hard at the hardest work there is. The rest of you feed protect, or clean up after that other long list of people. <laughs> and that is healing work. That is healing work. How often have I come to a time at the end of a meeting where I'm all torn up about what's gone on at the boardroom somewhere and met the person behind the counter who was kind and been ministered to. They don't know my world. They don't know me. They just know their job is to help heal the world a little bit at Arby's. But oh my, is that hard work. You know that woman at the well at Sychar? There were about a million cultural and religious and national and social and gender and racial barriers between her and Jesus. So I have good news for you today. 
every barrier to healing the world that you can imagine in your head right now will be overcome. Jesus will help you. <laughs> he didn't make, when he talked to that woman, a grand announcement of the end of all divisions. He was God. He could have done that. But what he did instead was to ask her for help. He asked her to help him. He brought the love and the reconciliation, but she had to decide whether she was going to play along in order for healing to really begin to happen in Sychar, in her hometown. In his beautiful human way, Jesus modeled for us the importance of getting our own needs met on the way to helping others. Now that's important. I want you to hear it again. Jesus modeled for us the importance of getting our own needs met on the way to helping others. The Word who was present at the creation of earth and fire and water asked for a drink because he was thirsty. And in doing so, he began to establish a relationship with the woman at the well. And that's what he wanted, a relationship. Real relationships are not one-sided affairs from which only one party benefits. All parties must get something from the connection if a relationship is going to be real. Jesus asked for what he needed on his way into dialogue with the Samaritan woman. He wanted more than a drink. He wanted a connection that would last a long, long time between them. Now, she was resistant. She was resistant to establishing a relationship. And we really can't blame her, can we? Her, her track record with relationships had been pretty bad. Now, we don't know why she was in her sixth sexual relationship. We don't know why. She may, in that very difficult place and time, have had the terrible misfortune of being widowed five times. She might very well have been. And she might have been, as she has been characterized by some others, a person whose moral life took her in that direction. But the reality is, we should not judge her. I was praying to my Lord about this passage this week. I said, Lord, what am I going to do with this woman's had, had five husbands? God said, how many have you had, Harry? I needed a drink of water. <laughs> it's not ours to judge our sister, but to learn from her experience of what it was like to be in relationship with Jesus. We know that the lack of stability in her life had cost her a great deal. So she was among those women who had to come to the well during the hottest part of the day after all the respectable women had come and gone when it was cool early in the morning. She was a nobody, but she mattered to Jesus. Last Sunday, we heard about Jesus' invitation to a powerful man to be born again as part of the movement for healing and wholeness that Jesus had begun. 
Today, the invitation is extended to one whose power was limited in earthly terms. But whereas Nicodemus heard the invitation and then drifted back out into the night, this unnamed woman at the well left everything to run and tell her neighbors, those that liked her and those that didn't, both, that she had heard this person and they ought to come see him because he had told her everything that she had ever done. Nicodemus slinked back into the night. This woman ran in the bright noontime sunshine to share the good news. Now I hope you notice that Jesus did not offer her forgiveness, nor did she ask for any. This is a sharp-tongued person who had learned to make her own way in a tough world. What Jesus offered her was water, sustenance, assurance. It could be said that he offered her happiness, if happiness would be defined as contentment and peace, a sense of well-being in the midst of a tough world. The initiative came from Jesus. He bridged her defenses by seeing through them and loving her anyway. There was no formula she had to follow in order to merit sips from the eternal spring. She had only to ask. And the stream that Jesus described to her was deep and wide and never-ending, a perpetual source that she can count on forever, gushing up to eternity. As I was reading chapter 4 of Happiness Now, this little book by Robert Holden that we've been reading as a Lenten study guide for our Wednesday Connections groups, I was struck by the disconnect between Jesus' free offer of eternal sustenance and what Holden says is our belief that happiness must be earned. Holden holds out the hopeful message that happiness has only to be accepted and that it is offered to everyone. And that means you. He also points out that we cannot make others happy unless we are happy ourselves. So accepting the gift of contentment and peace in our lives is not an act of selfishness, as many of us were conditioned to believe. I know what it sounds like in your heart right now. When you, I, I can hear the voice in my head and I know you do too. But we're wrong if we think that happiness is anything other than a gift. Accepting the gift of contentment and peace in our lives is not an act of selfishness. It is the first step on the path to helping others to be happy. And ultimately to healing the beautiful but broken world that God loves so very much. Happiness is God's gift to us. It is a tool God hopes we'll use to repair and heal and bridge and build. And we can do all of those things. There'll be water enough. Amen.